Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. The Baseball America College podcast is brought to you by ATEC, the training machine company. ATEC, the baseball training machine company, is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and more efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECSports.com. ATEC, win every practice. I should I should start that every week by saying, John Manuel, enunciate every read because I don't enunciate every every word of that read. I'll do better later on the podcast, Aaron. But uh, I'm actually with every throw, podcast, Johnny. I'm throwing you a curve though, Aaron. Right off the start, we're going to talk about Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and the Vanderbilt Commodores. Not in our top twenty-five, but uh, very excited that we actually used the Commodore sixty-four headline last week. Uh, one of my best headlines I've ever written. Great headline, boss. <laughs> and then, uh, and how about Vanderbilt? I mean, the SEC, we've talked so much about this league this year because it deserves the mention. But what is Vanderbilt, the number six seed going into the SEC tournament? Uh, number five seed? I forget what they are, they but I mean, are... they're, they're up see. there. They didn't, just, they didn't just squeak in. We they're thought they were going to have a yeah, hard time. Pardon me? No, number five. You're right. That, that's what they are. Number five. And we thought, that we, we thought Vanderbilt was going to have trouble just squeaking in to the SEC tournament. Now they're, they're now they're the five seed in a ten team tournament, and Aaron, uh, you know they were a top ten team to start the year on our in our preseason rankings. That proved to be a little bit too ambitious for a team that young, but but the Vanderbilt Commodores, they're not just making the regional. They're going to be a dangerous regional team. I'm not going to want to see them if I'm another team. With they have power arms, they have pitchers, yeah. they have left handers. That's a pretty interesting ball club going into the postseason. You're absolutely right, and, and they're peaking at exactly the right time. And, you know, those arms uh, that we thought would be dangerous um, have have proven that they are. And, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks here, you know, T.J. Pecorero on uh, atop that rotation has been outstanding. Sam Selman now for two weeks in a row has gotten the job done in the rotation. And, uh, and, and Zomek uh, moved back into a starting role and pitched well on, on Saturday this week. So, um, you know, their 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 pitching has come together, and obviously they've got depth on that staff now. I mean, if you you know if if Tyler Beatty is your fourth guy now, and you've got you know Drew Verhagen throwing 96 miles an hour, and, and Will Kleiner, the veteran at the back, and you know Brian Miller kind of giving you a different look, um, it's a uh, it's a nice group. I mean, they've got they've got good arms, and um, certainly this isn't you know this isn't as uh, offensive as, as last year's team was, of course. I mean, now that Westlake and Esposito and Castalli are gone, we've talked about that. But uh, but they do still have those veterans, you know, those Omaha veterans, Tony Kemp, Mike Yastrzemski, Anthony Gomez, Connor Greger, uh, Connor Harrell. I mean, Riley Reynolds is back now. These guys were all regulars last year, you know, for a College World Series team. Uh, and then you throw in a couple of, you know, newer talented younger guys that have, have played well. I mean, Spencer Navin behind the plate has really done a, a fantastic job replacing Kirk Castalli. Um, and, and providing some offense as well. I mean, that's been a, a guy that's kind of gone under the radar, but has been a big part of their success this year. Because coming into the year, they were worried about that. You know, they were maybe not worried so much as just, um, you know, uncertain who, how that was going to go. Um, you're replacing a, you know, a senior catcher. That's hard to do. Um, that was a question mark for them, and he's really handled it. It's a great way to put it. I mean, the, the things that they thought were going to be worrisome coming into the year haven't necessarily been in some ways, you know, their, their bullpen's kind of, you know, their bullpen's been pretty good because Kleiner, you know, early in the year, the really the issue was they couldn't get the ball to Kleiner with a lead, you know, 
but he kind of has led that kind of new look bullpen. Um, and then they've had this sophomore catcher from Iowa, like you said. I mean, really step forward, and he doesn't have Kirk Casale's northeast toughness, nor does he have Kirk Casale's northeast beard. But he, <laughs> uh, but he's been very solid back there. So those things they kind of thought might be issues, they weren't issues. The, the issues were really, you know, Connor Harrell striking out 50 times. You know, Conrad Gregor not hitting early in the year, uh, and then their pitching staff being a little too young. But it really seems like things changed for them when Pecoraro coming back early from the Tommy John surgery. The only guy I can think of who's come back as quickly from Tommy John was uh, Brandon Clawson, who did that at the big league level uh, with the Cincinnati Reds after being traded by the Yankees. And his career wasn't very long-lived. Uh, T.J. Pecoraro, let's hope for mm-hmm. for a little bit more staying power for him. But, I mean, he's just been outstanding. Uh, looked very good on national TV Thursday night against Ole Miss. Big sweep for the Commodores this weekend, so 16-14. and 14. I think they're going to be a dangerous team. They look like they could even be a second seed if they have a good tournament, Aaron. I mean, a fifth-place team with a fifth mm. seed in the SEC tournament is usually a uh, – sometimes it's a one seed in the host. I mean, that's not going to be Vanderbilt. Yeah. But they look right. like they could be a very dangerous number two seed, don't they? You're right. I mean, they're up to number 32 in the RPI now. I mean, if, you, if you're – you know, if your top 16 teams are one seed and your top – your next 16 teams are twos, I mean, that puts them as a, in a two range as far as the RPI goes. and. You know, they, they have really played well down the stretch, and momentum is in their favor. You know, we know the committee looks at momentum. Yep. Um, and, boy, they've got it. They've got it big time. I mean, they're in. Right now, they're a lock. I think they go 0-2 in Hoover, and, I, and they're still in the tournament. I agree. I think you might uh, – I think if I'm a Purdue Boilermaker, I'm starting to break down some film of Vanderbilt because I think you're going to see the Commodores as your number two seed and a very gold and black regional uh, up in Gary, Indiana. I mean, like that, that's something that we all mapped out at the start of the season. It's the Baseball America podcast. Yeah, exactly. Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. And uh, let's talk about the top of this week's rankings, Aaron. Um, Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. Still number one, even after uh, losing that series at Clemson last weekend. Uh, we put the poll to bed last week on Monday with them uh, having played one game in that series, and they played the doubleheader Monday, split it, but they lost that series at Clemson. They come back this weekend and win a series against NC State, even after losing the opener. Um just not an obvious number one team in the country here. And Florida State's pretty much number one, I'm not going to say by default, but it's because I think the top seven teams, Florida State, in our rankings this week, Florida State, LSU, Florida, Rice, Oregon, Baylor, South Carolina, those seven teams are pretty tightly bunched. And then eight, nine, and 10, A&M, UCLA, North Carolina, those top ten teams, there's just not a lot of separation between those top ten teams in my mind, Aaron. Not, not in terms of resume and their accomplishments, during the 2012 season. Do you agree that the, the gap between 1 and 10 is really small? Yeah, I do. I think you're exactly right. I think it's a great way to put it. it you know, it's, uh, we, you know, again, this is the second week in a row. We had a hard time coming up with a number one, and we, we probably talked about four or five different teams for that spot. I mean, um, we, talked about, we talked about Rice. We talked about Oregon. We talked about LSU and, and even Florida um, and Florida State. You know, so really you've, you've got a bunch teams that have a, have a claim to be number one and have pretty similar resumes. I mean, um, actually, I think the resumes are um, similarly impressive, but they're not necessarily similar. I'm going to rephrase that because okay. Florida State, for instance, you know, they're, I think it's impressive that Florida State has gone uh, 24-6 and six in the ACC and won that league running away, and um, they've really dominated. But, you know, 
their resume doesn't include the kind of really impressive quality wins that you see on LSU's resume or Florida's or Oregon's or you know even um, UCLA's. I mean, I feel like Florida, it's just more of a, um, you know, you're impressed with their consistency, but they just, you know, the ACC is, is okay this year. I think, I mean, I'm frankly not blown away by the ACC. It's pretty good. I mean, it's, I guess it's a pretty standard year for the ACC, John. I don't know what your take is on the league. You see more of it than I have, but... I think it's just um, okay. I, I think it's just okay. Yeah. I think the, the thing is, Aaron, Florida State, uh, you know, it's top rival in the league is the other division winner, North Carolina, and they did not play. Like if you're so so North Carolina's ten, Florida State's one. They didn't even play during the regular season. And North Carolina finishes only two games behind Florida State, despite the fact that for twenty one games they were without their best player, Colin Moran. Uh not just their best player, I mean really in the whole country, top five hitters in the country, who can you get the five just in position play, just in pure hitters, Aaron, that you take before Colin Moran? I mean, Chris Bryant, Mike Zanino. Who else did you take? I had a Oof, boy. I had a Colin I mean, Moran. You're right. He's 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 got to be in this. I mean, he was a first team All American last year, and With he's all due to, respect to, to James Ramsey. Wouldn't you take Colin Moran over James Ramsey, just pure hitter? Are we talking about long-term upside? Or are we talking no, I'm about talking about right, now. If, you, right well, now. if you needed a hit right now, I don't care who's on the mound. If you needed a hit, who would you rather have, Colin Moran or James Ramsey? I'm taking Colin Moran. I, I think uh, I mean I think I'm still going to take Ramsey. You know, I mean the guy's had a the guy's had a filthy year. He's a senior. He's been through everything. I mean, I, you know, I think you got to acknowledge that. I, I, you know, I think Moran is has more upside long-term. I guess, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I think I think I go with Moran. I mean Ramsey, sorry. And then you have you know, Christian Walker at South Carolina. I think is in that short list. Rafe Rhymes is hitting four sixty nine. Yeah. I'll put Rafe Rhymes on that short list. Alex Yarborough, Ole Miss. I'll put on that short list. I mean, there's some dudes who are in contention. But so again, my my point is that Carolina was without its by far in my mind its best player in Colin Moran. Even after he comes back, you know, you have some timing issues. Um, I, to me, I think North Carolina is not that far behind Florida State. I don't think the gap between those two teams is very wide. And really the gap in the league is basically the U. Florida State swept the U. North Carolina got swept by the U. That, that's really yeah. the difference. Uh, North Carolina played Florida, played Miami when they had Peter O'Brien and in Miami. And that's a, that matchup really worked very well for the Hurricanes with all their left-handed pitching and how left-handed North Carolina's team is. And meanwhile, when Miami played Florida State, just wasn't playing as well. And the Seminoles, to their credit, just took it to Miami. But really, that's that's the mm. difference in the two teams is that one series, and that's how razor thin I think the gap is between one and ten. Um, and and in the in the, in the uh, Southeastern Conference, it's, it's similar. And we have LSU two, Florida three, South Carolina seven, um, Kentucky eleven. Yeah, I think Kentucky slumped here toward the end of the year. And that's why they're toward the back of this ranking. Their non-conference schedule was the weakest, but their in-conference resume until this weekend, getting swept by Mississippi State, was was the best. So, just not yeah. a lot of not a lot of difference between those teams. LSU goes and, to the top and, of them in the rankings because they won the league. And if you look at Kentucky's resume in the league, um, you know I know they finished what a half game behind South Carolina, I think. But like I mean, heck, you know Kentucky again. Kentucky won. Um, two of those three series against the other SEC Big Three. You know, they they beat, they swept South Carolina, of course, and they took two out of three from LSU. 
whereas South Carolina lost all three of its series against the big three. So, I mean, you know, uh, Kentucky, I, I know why they're behind. I mean, they finished poorly, um, and they, uh, you know, they had the really soft non-conference schedule that hurt their RPI and is going to keep them from being a national seed. But, um, you know, as far as the uh, um, the higher end of their resumes, I think Kentucky's compares favorably with South Carolina's. So I, I agree that there's not a lot of difference here. And, and um, you know, it's uh, – I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see, what, see the way this unfolds. But I do feel like Kentucky has been exposed a little bit here these last few weeks. I mean, they're starting pitching – um, hadn't really been performing at a high level for most of the SEC season, and they were winning anyway because they've got a really good bullpen and a really good offense. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think their bats went a little bit colder, and, and their, their pitching still just wasn't getting it done. So um, right now, you know, don't have a whole lot of confidence in Kentucky heading into the postseason unless they can get those arms figured out. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, one thing I just dug up, it took me a while to find the ACC-only stats. But in ACC play, just just for uh, grits and shiggles here, James Ramsey, 286. I just have a 436 on base and a 533 slugging. So, but he has not dominated in the ACC. He's he's been yeah. he's been good. He's not been otherworldly in league play. So I'm just throwing that out there. If you don't like it, throw it right back to me. Um, you, you got Colin Moran. I don't. I'm I don't, curious I don't, what they are. I'm sure he's. I don't believe North Carolina's uh, stats are that uh, go that go that deep uh, as Florida State does have the uh, the conference only stats, which I'm forever grateful for, and the ACC, which still to me does not value baseball as a league the way the SEC does. The league office does not push baseball, doesn't promote baseball, doesn't foster baseball, doesn't help baseball. You don't have conference-only stats on the ACC baseball website, uh, the official league website. It's poor. That is that is poor. Um, and now I'm jumping around a little bit, Aaron. Uh, we were talking about num- possible number ones this week. We discussed the possibility of Rice. We discussed the possibility of Oregon. Um, it does feel like Oregon's resume is a lot stronger than Rice's, especially when we're talking about top eight national seeds. And at the same time, I almost feel like I believe a little bit more in Rice as a postseason team because they, their starting pitching and their bullpen have really both seemed to come around. And they had a big weekend series win uh, just recently, obviously, against the Central Florida at Central Florida to claim that Conference USA championship. Their 17th straight year where they've either run a regular season or tournament champion over three different conferences. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I agree with your ultimate assessment there. I think Oregon has the more impressive resume. You know, we've talked a whole bunch of times about those four weekends. Um, you know, the, 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 basically the other four top teams in the Pac-12, they've won two against all of them, and uh, it's just loud to me. I just, I think their resume is very impressive. Nine and three against the top 25 in the RPI. I mean, man, that's, that's very good. Uh, but, uh, yes, I believe in Rice more uh, as a postseason team. I think their pitching is deeper. I think their, their high-end pitching is, is better, more dominant. I mean, Alex Cadell's had an amazing year for Oregon. Uh, he can beat anybody. You know, he's a senior, he's a pitchability guy. But, I mean, you know, I, I do think that Rice has more shutdown arms. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Rice is, is probably more dangerous offensively as well. I mean, uh, this is a great coaching job by George Horton. It's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's one of those teams that has overachieved a little bit in my mind. And, uh, you know, I, I like Oregon. I think they're, they're tough um, and, and scrappy, and you, know, you can't overlook them at this point. But uh, I, I still can't get myself to completely buy in. 
I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I think that I think you, you nailed it. They've overachieved. Uh, that's a, both a compliment and a backhanded compliment. I mean, uh, it, it's hard to it, it's hard to believe necessarily that Oregon is a Omaha team. Um, be a great story for college baseball, but and they're sitting there at five in the Boyd's World uh, RPI. Just uh, sitting there at five in our rankings. And their resume is better than Rice's. Rice down at 12, that leads me into our uh, top eight national seed discussion. Obviously, you're going to bear down this, you know, with the full force of Aaron Fitz's intellectual might to, tonight for tomorrow's stock report. <laughs> but, but on the surface, Aaron, I think it's I think we have five fairly safe top eight national seeds. One to me, there's one uh, lead pipe lock, and that's Florida. And I would say that Florida State is a 99.9% lock. Um, Just as much as Florida for me. Okay. Um, Then you've got UCLA at at three in these RPIs, on this Boys World RPI. I don't feel like UCLA is a lock for a top eight national. No, they're not a lock. They're not not a lock. I mean, because right now they're tied for third place in their conference. Um, But, you know, then again, Florida's third place in its conference. I mean, I I think UCLA – is in very good shape. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago how, how UCLA was about to go on the road for a couple of weeks in a row. They had a nine-game road stand, uh, and they had to handle that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an a overly difficult road stand. I mean, they were playing teams that aren't going to be in regionals, but, uh, but they handled it. You know, they went, went and they swept a series at Washington, who, you know, at the time was a borderline regional team, and then they went and, and you know, took two out of three at Cal. So they've handled this road stretch. I think they're 7-1 and one in their first eight games on the road during this, this period. Yep. This, this, this weekend they did it without two, two up-the-middle starters, Tyler Heineman and, and Pat Valeka, and this kind of shows you what kind of depth UCLA has. And that's one thing we hadn't really talked about because they hadn't had to use their depth. They've been healthy, but uh, they have a lot of position player depth. And uh, this weekend, you know, they've got the luxury of two pretty good catchers. They, you know, Heineman uh, was, was ill, uh, flu-like symptoms, and so they moved um, Trevor Brown behind the plate, and, uh, you know, they, they, they slid Kevin Williams from second base to shortstop, and, uh, you know, it all worked out for them. But um, I think their resume is impressive, and now all they've got left is a home series against USC. Uh, USC is not very good, and I don't see UCLA faltering this weekend. I, I think they're going to be a national seed. I'm with you, Aaron. Uh, the more you really look and delve into what UCLA has done this year, um, <laughs> it's really, really impressive. I mean, they just – they have the four series losses. They haven't been swept, I don't believe. And like you said, this, it's a pretty nice road finishing kick to show the committee right before the, 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 the meetings outside of Indianapolis somewhere in a remote hotel as they make room for the Indy, for the, uh, Indy 500. <laughs> um, you know, they really don't have a significant weakness. Uh, they're just uh, – it's it's a really good, balanced team. I guess their significant weakness is they don't have an ace and they don't have a defined right. shutdown like 100 uh, – Scott Griggs is very good, but uh, but as uh, – you know, 56 strikeouts and 32 innings is really good. But as Kramer might say, he's a little bit flighty. So um, Right. I mean, and I, and I think I think Adam Plutko is a legit ace. I mean, he's not a – you know, he's – not a uh, Kyle Zimmer, Mark Capel kind of you know 95 mile an hour guy, but uh, but he is I'm, for me. I mean, he's as good an ace as any of these. You know, I mean, if if Alex Cadell's an ace, then then certainly Adam Plutko is as well for me. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think I think when you look at UCLA's resume, I mean, to me, it's been really impressive. They haven't always done this, but 
they've really, really taken care of business in the midweek. I mean, they've got, I don't know, Good they've point. got only a couple of, of midweek losses. That's a great uh, if point. Any. I mean, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and last year, I feel like they had more depth on the mound, and you would have thought they would have been better with the midweeks last year. But, um, you know, they've had Grant Watson, especially as the guy in midweeks, and they're 21-4 they're and in non-conference, and they're 17-10 and 10 in, a, in a very good league. Uh, it's, a, it's an awfully impressive resume, and that includes, you know, a serious win against Baylor, who uh, ran away with the Big 12. So let's not forget about that. Absolutely. I mean, like, I think we started off the year with that inexplicable, well, not inexplicable, but that surprising series loss to Maryland. I think Eric Backich really had the Terps ready to go right out the gate. That team competed all year, Maryland. I think you can give them a lot of credit. They didn't make the HC tournament, but a much more competitive Maryland team this year and kind of took, I think, UCLA a little bit by surprise and also UCLA, you know, first time in three years without Bauer and Cole. But that team found its identity pretty quickly, and its identity was, uh, again, a very balanced team. Uh, We've already talked a little bit about Oregon. Other team in the Pac-10, you know, Arizona just kind of train keeps rolling. They're a very offensive club, very good at home. Got Arizona State this weekend for them with a shot at the uh, at the Pac-10 regular season, Pac-12 title. I want to talk about Stanford, Aaron, because this is the other team that seems to be finding its identity. First of all, Mark Appel uh, has gotten hot on the mound, a couple of back-to-back just where he's shoving it. Uh, Brett Mooneyham remains uh, shotgun command. I mean, that's a great phrase. You never know what you're going to get with Brett Mooneyham, but it's a live left-handed arm. And now he's been Steve, good lately, too. He's been good lately. And now Stephen Piscotty, Aaron. Stephen Piscotty moving into the weekend rotation. Uh, that's on, that's a guy on your short list of best hitters, A. And B, the Garrett Atkins comparison that I like is starting to break down because Garrett Atkins never went six innings in a game. And now uh, Stephen Piscotty, who's done some spot release during the year. He's even auditioned as the closer. We know he's got arm strength. His younger brother pitches for Duke. But now this guy's in the weekend rotation for Stanford and starting yeah. to work. Uh, how does Stephen Piscotty change Stanford's identity? Well, you know, you're right. It's, it's been a huge factor for them these last two weeks, I think, because they just hadn't all year long, they hadn't found that consistency in the weekend rotation uh, in the Sunday spot. Um, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a revolving door. I mean, you know, we talked about how they had uh, the major, you That's know, right. for a while there early on, Logan Hochstatter, um, and they had A.J. Venegas in there, and, you know, they've tried different things, and, uh, and and this is, I think, finally gives them that stability, and, you know, it allows them to just kind of keep Venegas in the bullpen where I think he's pretty darn good, and, and that stabilizes the bullpen, you know, gives you the... Um, everyone knows their roles. I mean, that's that's nice to have that, and uh, and I think he's well suited for that role. So, I mean, Piscotty's got really good stuff. I mean, he's a you know he's a lower slot guy with some real life and some velocity and uh, and a hard breaking ball. And uh, you know he's uh, um, he's he's done a good job each of his last two weeks pitching into the seventh inning, only allowing one earned run each week. And uh, you know he's he's not um, he's not walking too many guys. I mean, for a guy who's only got two career starts. You know, those are pretty pretty nice little lines. I mean, only two walks and one one run over six and a third. It really seems like Stanford now finally kind of has those five or kind of that six guys that you look for teams to have in the postseason: Piscotty, Venegas, Appel, Mooneyham, obviously, and then kind of David Schmidt and I would guess Dean McCardle is kind of that sixth guy. Right. I would I mean, think so. So there's some veterans, some strike throwers, some power arms. You got a lefty. If they need to go seven, I suppose there's a. You know, I don't know. Is Hookstad or Hurt? Or is he just not pitching? Has he just fallen out of favor? I, th- I think he's just hit the freshman wall a little bit, is my understanding. Yeah, I mean, so uh, you know, they might maybe they're looking for the left hander out of the bullpen as they're the one thing you're kind of looking for. But 
it feels like they're starting to come together for a postseason run. And I think we both know they're, they still haven't found their 100% of their stride offensively, or maybe this is just who they are. Maybe they aren't as good as we thought they were. I, I do think it's amazing that Danny DeKroger now has more home runs than Kenny DeKroger. Kenny has two. Yeah. Danny has three. But they seem like a lineup that has some depth. They have some options. They can mix and match a little bit. And they have some guys in there who are consistent. Regeer has been quite consistent for them this year. Austin Wilson's been pretty consistent. And Piscotti is a rock. So uh, Stephen Piscotti yeah. starting to make – if he'd started for a few more weeks, he'd be, he'd be in that uh, college player of the year mix for me. I mean, just with the two-way value. Um, it's a pretty, pretty big year. I don't even know if he's going to be the Pac-10 player of the year, though, the, the way that people in the Pac-12 uh, love Tony Renda. They do love Tony Renda. And Jeff Jelich has had a huge year. I think Great he's got point. in that conversation. And, um, you know, I think maybe you could throw Joey DeMichael's name out there. You could throw, um, you know, there's there's a bunch of candidates. I mean, Arizona has some guys who had some really nice years for them. But um, it's uh, it's going to be a very, that's gonna be a very interesting Pac-12 player of the year race. I mean, Aaron, we talked about National Coach of the Year last, last uh, podcast. National Player of the Year. I mean, that's just not a. Jeez. That's not an easy call. I mean, I, I mean, I, the first name I think of is our midseason Player of the Year, Mike Zanino. He's going to be the highest drafted college position player. We, we feel pretty certain about that. He's had a very good year, uh, especially when you put it in the bats context and you put him behind the plate. I think he's still the leader in the clubhouse, isn't he? He's up to 15 home runs now. He's had a little bit of a power surge the last uh, week or. It feels like, and um, you know, the guy hitting 324 doesn't feel like a slam dunk. Certainly, player of the year candidate, but I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, every year since I've been, you know, the the lead guy on this college beat, John, we've had a we've had a pretty much easy choice for player of the year. It was David Price, it was Steven Strasburg, it was Buster Posey. Uh, um, you know, even even last year it was uh, help me out, John. Who was it last year? Well, two years ago it was Anthony Rendon. Rendon. I don't even remember who it was last year. That's sad. It had to be a pitcher. It was Trevor Bauer, and that was slam dunk. Trevor Bauer, slam dunk, absolutely. All those guys were slam dunks. And, you know, in some cases you had a strong number two. Like, you know, I think Holston was a really good second choice last year. I Gordon, think Gordon Beckham was, in 2008. I remember Gordon, I mean, Posey sure, was Gordon awesome, Beckham, but Gordon Beckham was right there. Yeah. I mean, and, and Ackley had a great year that year that Strasburg. Correct. Was the guy, but I mean, there's always the guy, and this this year it just seems muddled. I mean, you've got Zanino and Ramsey are still right there at the top of the discussion. I mean, you got to throw you got to throw a guy hitting 470 into the mix. I mean, you know, for for LSU, yeah, you're um, right, Ray I think Ryan. Kevin Gossman, I think Kevin Gossman should be in the mix. I mean, he's had a, a fantastic year. Um, you know, maybe maybe Mark Capel has thrown his his candidacy in, into this this discussion. I mean, it's uh, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I think there's a there's a bunch of good names. There's a bunch of good names. They're certainly not a great name. Like you said, That's I mean, it. Exactly. Zanino with a 386 on base. I mean, he's slugging 657, and he's a catcher. It's pretty impressive to see a catcher slugging 657. I mean, and you know, he's thrown out 31.5% uh, of opposing base runners. I mean, that's good. Um, let's talk a little bit about Florida. We're talking about uh, we're talking about great teams today. We're talking about top eight national seeds. We, the Gators are a lock. But Aaron, on top of that. Uh, my my boy Paco Rodriguez, I just went to the went to bat hard in last week's top 200 meeting for Paco Rodriguez, and he goes and blows one to Auburn. Stay hot, Paco. <laughs> but uh, it feels like they're starting to get back to who we thought they were. Karsten Whitson's still not 100%. Uh, 
But Hudson Randall, uh, I know that his velocity, I, I, I was talking to a scout who saw him this weekend. I, I think he topped out at 90 miles an hour against Auburn, and that's where he peaked. And he pitched in that mid to upper 80s. But a complete game, three-hit shutout. You know he had to be pitch efficient to go complete game for, for Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, it feels like Hudson Randall's back to being Hudson Randall. Yeah. Uh, Austin Maddox, Paco Rodriguez, Greg Larson, the bullpen. Uh, they've got Johnny Magliotti as a power arm. They've got Jonathan Crawford and Brian Johnson. They've got the versatility. It feels like Florida still hasn't gotten hot offensively. They're 20-15 and 15 in their last 35 games. And yet it feels like they're starting to round into form, Aaron, at least to me. Yeah, yeah you're right. And, and you know, um, Whitson maybe isn't going ter- – he's still, they're still being careful with him. They're being cautious. They're, you know, they're, they're, um, he's only going, what, 80, 90 pitches a week, it seems like. I don't think he's right. hit 100 all year, but he is healthy. I mean, he is 100% of the stuff is good. Um, and so, you know, that's important. Um, and and – and you're absolutely right about Randall. I mean, the last month here, he's been really good. He's returned to being Hudson Randall, and, you know, he's going to be in that 86 to 90 range. That's just who he is. But, I mean, all, you know, you watch him on TV. I've seen him now a couple of times, and his stuff is good. You know, I mean, he's really – he just – he knows how to pitch, and he, he looks like the guy that dominated last year. I mean, he's back. Without the uh, mullet. All the way, so. He doesn't have the mullet like he did. The mullet. <laughs> I mean, if he really is going to be the right. guy, I, I thought the power for him was in his mullet. I'm, I'm disappointed. I, think... I want the ginger mullet back. <laughs> That was a good one. I, I want the ginger mullet back, but, in, uh, back in ball. But, you know, I mean, when, when Florida was going through its, its little funk the way through the year, um, you talked to Kevin O'Sullivan, and he was never worried. You know, he's always like, well, you know, I mean, we just got, we want to be there at the end. We want to be healthy at the end, and we want to peak at the end. And he always had his eye on that, and he always thought his team was just fine, I mean, perfectly on track to, to be where they wanted to be. You know, and, and that's one of the things we, we talked about this last year when we gave – Kevin O'Sullivan, our, our National Coach of the Year award, and caused an uproar in game cognition. Um, <laughs> you know, this guy, one of the things that we like about him is that he, he has a sense for the bigger picture, and that, that's, that's true when it comes to protecting pitchers, and it's true with trying to win. You know, I mean, he doesn't obsess about midweek games because they're not that important. You know, and, and even even weekend games. I mean, he's not gonna you know get get out of whack trying to win a, a weekend series in, in March. You know, I mean, this this guy he's he's got his eyes on the prize. They're here to win a national championship, and and I completely agree with you that this team uh, suddenly looks really really dangerous again. And the offense still hasn't clicked completely. You're right, but but I think the power started to come back now with Zanino and Tucker, and especially, um, and uh, you know, and and you look at that staff, and, and all of a sudden with, with Randall being Randall and um, Brian Johnson's been a lot better, I think, lately, um, and Whitson's back. And now that allowing you to move Crawford to the bullpen if you want, or that number four starter, just an extra power arm, really big arm, uh, to go with, with Maddox, Larson, and Rodriguez. I mean, that is so imposing. It really is. Just, just in the interest of fairness, since I, since I busted on James Ramsey with his uh, sub-300 batting average, here's Mike Zanino's numbers in SEC play, 255. 336 on base. Now, he is slugging 509, and he leads the Southeastern Conference with 13 doubles in league play. It looks like your boy Matt Snyder with 10 home runs leads the league in home runs, by the way. Aaron Fitt and I, I think that, have Johnny. a Matt Snyder bet born. <laughs> yes. Take that, Yanni's right. Chris Stratton has actually been, in yeah. conference play, the best pitcher in the Southeastern Conference. I, I don't know why I'm sounding a little surprised by that. Kevin Gossman, 501, 344. He has 87 strikeouts in 73 innings. Chris Stratton, six and one, six, 205, 
with 88 strikeouts in 74 and two-thirds innings. So, I mean, like, as good as the prospects have been, and, hey, Chris Stratton's a great prospect. You know, he's going to be a first-round pick. But you know, Gossman's a better prospect. Stratton's been a little bit better this year. And that allows me to transition, Aaron, into later in the rankings where we brought in Arkansas and Mississippi State. But the Bulldogs are the more interesting of those two teams. We've talked about them some this year. But this is a team that's been through so many injuries in its lineup. I believe at one point they had six of their nine opening day players were out of the lineup. And yet their pitching has been so stout. And they really took it to – oh, I'm, sorry, I'm not even blanking on who they swept this weekend. Who did they sweep this weekend? Kentucky. Kentucky. They took it to Kentucky. I mean, they, just, they destroyed Kentucky uh, with a couple of close, a couple of close uh, games and then blew it open on Sunday. But they only allowed seven runs the whole weekend against a Kentucky team that really had been quite offensive all year. Uh, how good is Mississippi State? Are they putting themselves – I mean, I feel like if they win the conference tournament, they're going to be a one seed uh, and a host. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they certainly have a chance. But here's my, my concern is that it's too, too little too late because I feel like traditionally the, the committee, you know, they don't put a ton of stock in the conference tournament. You know, they look – I mean, let's say they don't – they don't look at it, but uh, it feels like a lot of times, you know, a hot team that wins a conference tournament, it doesn't, still doesn't kind of change the committee's opinion. I mean, Virginia comes to mind in 2009 yeah. uh, when, yep. uh, when they won the ACC tournament and still got shipped out to Irvine. And I feel like that happened to Florida State one year, too, where they, uh, the year that they got sent to Connecticut, maybe. They had won the ACC tournament and still got, got sent on the road. But, um, you know, I feel like there's, it's just going to be hard for Mississippi State to leapfrog some of these teams ahead of them. I mean, I look at the hosting picture right now, you know, and last week I had Texas A&M outside the, the top 16, and I felt like they should host. They feel like a host, um, and I didn't know who to, you know, who do you displace? I mean, there's four Pac-12 teams now that I think those top four teams are all very solid host candidates. You know, uh, we talked about Oregon, UCLA, Stanford. I like Arizona's resume a lot. Um, yeah. You know. Cal State Fullerton. Now, I mean, they're you know we've they've had a great season. I know that their RPI has sunk a little bit in the Big West uh, play, but I think they're number twenty now in the RPI. Maybe they get left out, but I, I don't know that it said it's for Mississippi State because you know if if you take out Fullerton and put in A and M, who's now up to number eight um, in the RPI, they finished second. They finished strong in the Big Twelve. A uh, and M looks like they're going to host. So, I mean, I'm, I'm running. There's nobody else you can really kick out. I mean, Purdue's going to host. Um, you know, Rice, they won their league. They're going to host. Virginia has a better resume than, than, you know, Mississippi State, I think. And I don't love Virginia's resume. They don't have a lot of quality wins for me. But, um, you know, they're higher in the RPI, number 11 in the RPI. Um, you know, that's, uh, Mississippi, Mississippi State is number 29. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to happen for the Bulldogs no matter what happens in Hoover. I think you're right. And you really lay it out like that. To me, it feels like the top 15 teams in our ranking should host and then Purdue. That's how it feels like to me. Um, I agree. I think that's. Uh, I think that's what I got as well. I mean, Virginia has a nice case, solid resume. I think Purdue won its league versus fourth or fifth place in a league. Ge- geography helps. Uh, you know, that's where I'm looking at it. Just, just touching but, on the Bulldogs real quick. In conference play, in SEC play, two twenty-eight, three thirty-nine, three eleven. <laughs> that's their slash line. And if you think they're scoring runs by running on people, that would be a negatory. They're 7 for 21 stealing bases in the league. How on earth is this team scoring any runs? Uh, nice job by John Cullen. Kate Batsman, Johnny. Kate Batsman. That's it. That's it. Uh, you, you got, I think you have to give them credit for J- John, John Cohen and that coaching staff deserve a lot of credit. 
for uh, there's not a bit. I mean, there has been a little woe with me, like because I talk about their injuries a lot. <laughs> but yeah, they do. But sure. the team hasn't uh, wilted from that, and uh, I respect that crazily. The second in the league in the RA. I completely agree. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted. You, but I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think that uh, it would have been easy for this team to roll over at several points this season, and uh, and they haven't. You know, they've really, considering how anemic their offense is. I mean, they've had to scrap and claw. It seems like every weekend, and now they've won four of the last five series. Even at at Gainesville, I think they were very competitive last week. Um, and uh, and you know, to shut down Kentucky, you, you talked about it. I mean, they have the best offense in the SEC. Um, that just shows you how good this Mississippi State pitching staff is. I mean, to me, the fact that they don't even necessarily need Caleb, Caleb Reed to close anymore. I mean, they've found a guy with Jonathan Holder, uh, the freshman, that has been their closer lately. So, I mean, Reed um, is, you know, he's, he's a great kind of moment of truth guy, but they don't even need him. At, they don't even just save him for the end of the game. They've just got so many arms. Jacob Lindgren is a left-hander that they love, a freshman uh, with a power-breaking ball that came in and, and pitched very very well this weekend. Uh, it's kind of an X-factor guy to watch for them. I mean, Luis Poyarena, um, you know, another little lefty we like. I mean, the, the two Mitchells, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Just so many good arms on this team. Yeah, it's really uh, – I think they're dangerous as well. I think they're very dangerous uh, in the postseason because they're pitching, they're pitching depth. They're a team that can lose a first game of a regional or lose in a regional and battle back yep. to a loser's bracket because of their pitching depth. Uh, it's the Baseball American Podcast with John and Aaron. Let's wrap up, Aaron, by talking about a couple of coaching changes that happened this weekend uh, because they're both in, in BCS leagues, they're interesting teams. You have West Virginia both now moving. Big 12. To, both Big 12. That's right. I never even thought about it that way. But you've, uh, we've had this down year in the Big 12, uh, the coming tumult in the Big 12, not just uh, Missouri leaving the league and A&M leaving the league, um, but now you have West Virginia coming into the league, and they – Basically, it seems like Oliver Luck, their famous athletic director as the uh, father of Andrew Luck, has basically said, Greg Van Zandt, the university, thanks you for your service. Now we care about baseball now that we're going to the Big 12. We have to, we have to step up our game in baseball. So, therefore, we're going to make a coaching change uh, so we can try to you know, be relevant in baseball. Thank you for Jed Giorco and Tyler Kuhn and all those guys. We're moving on. It's not you. It's me. We're going to go get a new head coach. Is that how that feels? And what's, you know, yeah. how good do you think West Virginia can be as a baseball program? It doesn't feel like that's a team that's uh, naturally going to be better than, say, Kansas or Kansas State. Right. or team where, where it seems like those two programs really have to have a lot come together to be regional teams. You're right. I and mean, West Virginia is in a lot of – trouble going to this conference i just uh, you know it just seems such a it's like such a terrible fit for baseball i mean it just you know it's, it's a, don't get me started on conference realignment i just think it's all a bunch of crap and you know it really it really makes me angry i just i, I can't even the motives behind all this stuff it just drives me nuts but this makes no sense for baseball and it's a, it's it hurts i think it hurts west virginia i think you get a better chance of of winning the big east tournament and getting in that way than you did as, as an at-large team in in the big Twelve. It's just not going to happen. I mean, they're they're so far behind the eight ball. I mean, this, this, they've got eight or eight and a half scholarships. You know, I mean, and even if you even if you get them up to fully funded, that just shows you how far they've got to go. I mean, this 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 program. You know, I think it's impressive what Greg Van Zant did there. Um, all things considered, I mean, they won thirty five or more games three out of four years there uh, a couple of years ago. I mean, um, you know, they they went, finished above five hundred overall last year, and, and and you know they didn't they didn't this year, but they've got eight and a half scholarships for God's sakes, and they've got. 
you know, not good facilities. I mean, they, they, like you said, they haven't cared about baseball, and all of a sudden they're going to the Big 12, and they decide they're going to care. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, uh, I understand why they made the move. They think they need to, to make a splash, you know, and get a change in there. Fine. But, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think Greg Van Zandt did do a solid job there. I think that's worth acknowledging. And then Aaron, we're talking about uh, Texas Tech, and that's a little bit more of a surprise in that, that that it didn't work, and that Texas Tech has some baseball tradition. Uh, Larry Hayes put up some pretty gaudy numbers there over the years. You know, they had some nice players. Uh, Josh Bard always leaps to mind to me as a big leaguer who was there, was a, and was a big recruit for them. They were that showed to, at that time, um, and this is before your time, I understand. But Josh Bard went to Cherry Creek High School, where Darnell he was high school teammates with Darnell <laughs> McDonald. Um, that's a big high school in, in Colorado, Baseball Factory High School. And Texas Tech went up there and got a big-name recruit, uh, a switch-hitting catcher, came to college, was a really good player for them. And, uh, you know, they had that ability uh, as a program under Larry Hayes. They didn't always do it. A lot of times I think Larry was much more comfortable getting junior college players out of that area and, and grinding. And, but they were a pretty consistent regional team both in the Southwestern Conference and the Big 12 with Larry Hayes. Then Dan Spencer comes in there. He's an alumnus, comes in kind of triumphantly at the end of his uh, tenure at Oregon State as the assistant coach, recruiting coordinator. You know, Oregon State's winning with, uh, you know, guys from that state uh, on the field as they went back-to-back national championships. And it just never clicked in Lubbock for Dan Spencer. Uh, what's yeah. next and what's the ceiling for Texas Tech? You know, it's that's a program that I do think can and should compete in the Big 12. And you know, it's again, if you're in the Big 12, um, you're going to go up against Texas every year. You know, and, and Baylor now, and and A and M is gone, so that that should make it a little easier. But you got TCU coming in as a program that's really um, got it going. You know, so I mean, uh, it's kind of a wash for me. TCU or A and M? I mean, take your pick going forward. I agree. I agree. Um, maybe maybe give A and M a slight. At edge because they're A&M, but uh, and you know I mean both those teams have great coaches and um, they're, they're great programs. So um, and you got Oklahoma, of course. I mean so you got your 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 kind of top end programs in this league that are I think um, in place here going forward. But you know Texas Tech, um, you know they I mean I think they they've got a stadium project over there. I mean I, I can't remember the status on that, but I know they spent some money for a ballpark and um, you know they've uh, I don't know about the talent in West Texas, but uh, you know I mean they. Hey, it's a it's a it's a big name, you know, kind of um, Big Twelve program. I do think you can compete there, and uh, you know, I think there's some some candidates that come to mind. I mean, certainly Tim Tadlock, a guy that they spent a lot of money to to pry away from Oklahoma in the middle of the winter this year to try to um, you know get that thing going. I mean, he's got a great reputation. I wouldn't be surprised if they just elevated him to the head job. Um, but also, I think that uh, a guy like Ray Birmingham is the name that you have to keep in mind here. You know, a guy that has turned New Mexico into a winner. I mean. They hadn't. Had they ever been to a regional before two years ago? Or it, had been, it had been 50 years. It had been a 48-year drought, Aaron, and the, both those guys yeah. are pretty interesting. They have actually uh, pretty similar resumes because they both won a lot in junior college. I would forgotten that Tim Tadlock was the head coach at Grayson County Junior College, and he won back-to-back national championships at Grayson County, 1999-2000. Uh, mm. And then I also forgot until writing the blog post this morning that Tim Tadlock's a, a Red Raider alum. He played two years at Hill Junior College, and then he played two years right. uh, at Texas Tech. So uh, I, I think they have two natural candidates that bo- both make a lot of sense and a lot of upside as a program. I think West Virginia has to hope 
they could find a guy like uh, at Kansas State. I'm blank on the coach's name. Brad Hill. Brad Hill. Brad Hill. To me, that's that's the kind of guy West Virginia needs. Is a guy like Brad yeah. Hill. Brad Hill won the Division II level. And he's a grinder. He knows what kind of game. He knows what kind of players win in his system. He's been able to recruit some uh, some athletes. Guys like Carter Jurica. I mean, that's a pretty high level athlete. Uh, they've been yeah. able to go out and get some guys in A.J. Morris. Um, but that team has always been more of the sum is better than the whole, the parts kind of thing at K-State. And they've grinded it against the, a lot of odds to be a, 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 quite a successful program under Brad Hill. I have a lot of respect for Coach Hill. I don't even know him that well, but I have a lot of respect for what he's accomplished there. That's what West Virginia kind of has to try to find. And I, those guys are hard to find. I think a lot of schools are trying to find that. What Tim Tadlock and Ray Birmingham do that I love if they've had success at the junior college level, and then Ray Birmingham especially has taken the JC success and shown that you can do it at the D1 level, and I wish that more athletic directors looked at that and junior college coaches who win, like uh, Coach Johnson down at Chipola. Uh, you know, sure. just, you, there are a lot of them out there. Scott Pickler at, at Cypress always comes to mind. If I were a Pac-12 athletic director, and thank God I'm not, but if I were a Pac-12 athletic director, and I needed a baseball coach. I'm going to I'm going to Cyprus. I'm going to Scott Pickler and say you win you win everywhere. You win at Cyprus. You win at YD. The players are good players. You win with prospects. You win with not prospects. Your sons are in pro ball. I mean, your sons win. I mean, I, to me, the, the Wayne Graham example should be enough. But it feels like there's a yeah. glass ceiling, and it's very difficult for JC guys to get Division One head coaching jobs. And I hope that Ray Birmingham's success leads to other guys getting a shot because that guy's had a lot of success at New Mexico. And they might, make, they might go to three straight regionals. That's insane at New Mexico amazing. to go to three straight regionals. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, Aaron, right now they've got their RPI into a, into a, into a situation, John, where they're, uh, they actually have a chance in at-large, you know, and, and that's, I mean, you know, I mean, they, they, they're probably on the outside looking in for an at-large, but they're, they're at least in the mix. And you stack their resume up with East Carolina, who has a much better RPI, I like New Mexico's resume more. We talked about this today in the, in the Top 25 meeting. But, um, and, and, you know, one more JC coach that comes to mind, you know, that uh, in the same conference, I mean, UNLV with Tim Chambers, Great. I think he's doing a really good job building, building that program. And that's, uh, that's, that, that, I think, will be a success story as well. That's a great point. I will say, I know Tim, that, that there was a little bit of a mess after him at College Southern Nevada, but he built that program from scratch at CSN and made it into a national power. Obviously, Bryce Harper didn't hurt, but uh, th- th- that's another example, like you said, of a JUCO coach going to Division One level and turning some things around. That's a great example to, to bring up. So there are a lot of guys all over the country, you know, like uh, – you know they've 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 been struggling at UW over the years. I think Lindsey Meggs has made good progress there. You know Mark Ishino has been a great JC coach in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. You know I wonder if that guy ever really really got a shot at the UW job. Uh, you know there are a lot of junior college coaches who have a long track record of success who I think uh, I I hope would get a shot at the Division One level, but. Uh, I, that about does it for me for the podcast, Aaron. Uh, you know, I, great. I, I, obviously, we're excited. We're going to see you this week. Bison, North Carolina barbecue, ACC tournament, conference tournaments in, in college baseball are. I don't know. I don't know if I even say they're necessary evil. They're unnecessary. They're definitely not evil, but they seem almost irrelevant to me. I mean, it's, it's right. hard to get too jacked or pumped about any conference tournaments. I'm, which is another reason that the SEC separates itself from everyone else because the SEC tournament does matter to those fans, to those coaches, to those players. 
not as much as it, uh, you know, as they do maybe in, uh, some other, like even college basketball for some of these sports, uh, some of these leagues. But conference tournaments and baseball just don't seem like they excite the fan base to use the talk show uh, right. phrase. Yeah, and and right now, um, you know, the, to me the most fascinating thing about this week is is the the conferences where you've got an automatic bid on the line and and that's it. I mean, or or you know, or where maybe you've got one other team that could make a regional. So, I mean, if, if TCU, for instance, doesn't win the Mountain West or Coastal Carolina doesn't win the Big South, and you're looking at one fewer automatic or one fewer at-large spots go around for these uh, these bubble teams. But so that, to me, is what you really want to watch this week. Um, I'll be in Greensboro at the ACC tournament because I think it's a great opportunity to, to see eight teams in one spot, um, you know, and, and at least seven of those teams will be in regionals. I've got Wake Forest now in the field after sweeping Clemson this weekend, and Georgia Tech, I think, has to play its way in with a couple of wins this week. Uh, I think they're really in precarious uh, position, but 12 and 18 in the ACC doesn't excite me. But, uh, you know, that to me is, is you know, it, it's the ACC tournament. Who really cares who wins? I don't care. But, I mean, I, I want to go there to watch these teams play a bunch of games and uh, and to see if Georgia Tech can, can kind of boost its position. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot on the line this weekend. Uh, very well said. You know, I'm, I, I should have I meant to mention when we talked about the ACC that uh, that's a shocking result to me. I thought Clemson was kind of on the come. And uh, and they were. They had really improved. Uh, but getting swept by Wake Forest, 32-24. and 24, I mean, Clemson looks like a three-seed, Aaron. And, I mean, why would you not stick them in, in Columbia in a regional? I mean, they because, haven't earned. Because that would, that would result in the apocalypse, apparently. That's what, that's what everyone tells me. Every time I have the audacity to suggest South Carolina and Clemson in a regional, everyone says, oh, that'll never happen. Never happen. I think it's happening. I think it's happening. I mean, I think the Tigers are going to have to wear it. Uh, I mean, they, they have not earned the right to be shipped anywhere else, I don't think. Yeah. Now, if they were a regional in the Northeast, it would be great to ship Clemson up there. That's, you know, the State yeah. University of Vermont at Clemson. But, I mean. Uh, right, exactly. But, uh, anyway, I, I don't. But Wake Forest, it does feel like kind of earned its way in at least uh, to a three seed uh, by yeah. sweeping that series. And that's, uh, again, kudos to Tom Walter. That's another guy who. Uh, you know, they've overcome a lot at Wake Forest. That, that, that program had really bottomed out, and uh, he's done a nice job building their talent back up and kind of a must-win series, and they, and they go and sweep it, which I, is impressive. So we'll look forward to seeing you over in uh, Greensboro, and uh, I'll be there with you. So uh, I'm going to visit in for a couple of – especially the morning games, the Wednesday and Thursday 11 a.m. games. Uh, I can go to a Wednesday morning uh, 11 a.m. game in Greensboro and uh, – get some work done even while I'm there, and then come back and uh, coach pitch the might league Phillies to, to victory. Nice. That's, uh, that's the plan. That's the plan on Wednesday, Aaron. So uh, for Aaron Finn, I'm John Manuel. This Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECsports.com to learn more about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on atechsports.com. Atech, win every practice. For Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.